0: For the last week or so, President Trump's foreign policy advisors have been ping-ponging around the Middle East, meeting with leaders in Turkey, Egypt, Saudi Arabia. This isn't one road trip. It's two. National Security Advisor John Bolton is landing one place. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is landing in another.
1: You know, the point of of all these kinds of trips is to sort of shore up the allies, assure them that everything's okay, that their interests are being taken into account, that, that we're
0: Back here in the U.S., Fred Kaplan has been watching and listening to what these guys have to say. He's Slate's national security correspondent. And he says there's this
1: problem. The idea is to clarify what policy is, but there is no clear policy.
0: Because this administration makes decisions on the fly, Trump's deputies are engaging in a form of political improv especially after the president decided to withdraw 2,000 U.S. troops from Syria with the stroke of a tweet just before the holidays.
1: Well, I mean, the tweet reportedly originated with Trump on the phone with Erdogan, the president of Turkey. Erdogan's motive is he wants to crush the Syrian Kurds, whom we've been protecting. And so Trump apparently says, you know, you're right. I'm out of here. It's yours. And even Erdogan supposedly said, "Well, uh, wait a minute. Maybe not right away. Don't be too hasty about this."
0: <gasps> so this trip over the last week, it's like the cleanup crew. Like I think of like a, well, here's
1: the, here's the problem though. What are they? The, the 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 elephant keeps crapping on on the circus floor. So the cleanup crew. What are they cleaning up? And
0: what you, I mean, what you're laying out is really like foreign policy that then becomes filtered through each individual who kind of has their own motivations. Exactly.
1: Bolton, Pompeo, they go overseas under the guise of clarifying foreign policy. They try to put their own stamp on it.
0: Today, Fred is going to take us inside the minds of these two men who are implicitly and explicitly crafting U.S. policy, one foreign visit at a time. Mike Pompeo and John Bolton don't always agree with each other, or with the president. But as the U.S. military begins shutting down their operations in Syria, Fred and I will try to figure out what comes next in the Middle East. This episode is brought to you by Discover. I want to start off by talking about the personalities, because mm-hmm. these guys going overseas, I mean, first you, first of all, you have Mike Pompeo. Mm-hmm. He was a congressman from Kansas.
1: Can you just tell me a little bit about who he is and what oh. his perspective is on
0: right. world affairs?
1: So Pompeo, he was, you know, not, a, not an idiot. I mean, he, he graduated first in his class at West Point, ran as a Tea Party candidate from Kansas, U.S. House of Representatives, one, became CIA director That was Trump's first appointment of him to CIA. And ever since, he is basically set as his goal kowtowing to the commander in chief. The intelligence was often quite politicized. He is gearing everything to President Trump. Now, you know, there are two ways of of going about having a a cabinet job one is to be the president's agent in that agency, or in that, uh, the other is to. Advise the president from that point of view. When you're CIA director, one thing that you're supposed to do is to provide honest intelligence. You say, okay, it's up to you, Mr. President, what you want to do about it, but here's what we think is going on. Is that what he did? No, he basically, uh, I mean, there are people in the CIA who did, and sometimes he did too. Sometimes he did as well. But often, more often, he made sure that he had the ear of the president and he. He did his best to tell the president what the president wanted to hear. So you're painting him as, he's like a politician. He is, yeah, he,
0: he has presidential aspirations. So Mike Pompeo goes to Cairo last week. He makes this speech. You probably heard about it already. It was a bit of a middle finger to President Obama. Cairo is where, not quite a decade ago, President Obama delivered his own speech. It was called New Beginnings. He wanted to signal a departure from President Bush, Whose foreign policy had been characterized as anti-Islam. So Pompeo shows up last week, also in Cairo. He says, here's the real new beginning. Radical Islam is real. We're here to fight it. And remember Obama? He was just talking to Muslims. But the Trump administration, we're going to talk to nations.
1: If you talk with a foreign policy crowd around Trump, what they talk about all the time is how bad Obama was and how what they're doing is so much better. I mean, there's always a little bit of this in an administration. And under Obama, they, they did a lot of that with Bush. Bush, they did a lot about it with Clinton. But it's, it's an obsession with these people. It is an obsession. To just uh, dig at Obama. Even, even at the point of, you know, they talk about, well, we we creamed ISIS. Well, you know, the, the anti-ISIS coalition, what was put together by Obama. Uh, Trump's generals, did accelerate the fight against ISIS by loosening some of the rules of engagement, but they were basically following through on on Obama's strategy uh, and Obama's troop deployments. I mean, it's in most administrations there is an acknowledgement of the extent to which you you are in some form of continuity with your. In fact, it's seen as a healthy thing. Otherwise, it's like American foreign policy is just seen as a roller coaster ride depending on who's in power. It's a good idea to say, yeah, we do have some. Some kind of eternal interests and values here that, that are reflected throughout the the expanse of time, regardless of, of who the president is. That's not true with these guys. So the more that you can bash Obama, the better you look in, in the big man's eyes. Well, so he bashed Obama. Yeah.
0: But what else did he do in this speech
1: that made it so shocking? Well, basically, you know, one thing Obama tried to do in his speech was to say, OK, yeah, there have been a lot of tensions in the past between Shiite and Sunni and Israel and Palestinian and Iranian and the West. And so let's try to find common ground and and, and mutual interests and work together for the future. Trump and Pompeo are not interested in that at all. Uh, They are exacerbating the Shiite-Sunni split, taking the side of the Sunnis. Basically, this was another speech in furtherance of a declaration of war on Iran designed to Appeal to the Saudis, the Egyptians, the UAE—you know, Obama's speech—it kind of talked about the good and bad of both of both sides of a conflict, uh, which kind of infuriated some people.
0: Well, it makes it much more complicated it, to solve it, well, the problem. Can, it
1: acknowledges that these are complex problems. You know, you cannot talk about Iran without talking about the CIA British uh, operation to overthrow their democratic leader in 1953. Doesn't mean you have to blame the United States for everything, which Obama did not. But it's it's ridiculous. It's a, it's absurd to talk about complexity of Arab and inter-Arab and intra-Arab and intra-Muslim politics in the Middle East without talking about the legacy of colonialism and the Cold War and and other. history did not begin in 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 the year two thousand one or two thousand nine. You know, and and in fact, the the people who live in these areas you know, they talk about something that happened 1,400 years ago as if it was yesterday. I mean, the the history is a living, breathing thing for these people, and to just ignore it and to say, I mean, the you know, Pompeo says in his speech, America is a force for good in the Middle East. Well, look, you don't have to be a a self-hater to realize that America's actually been an incredibly destructive force in the Middle East for most of the time that it's been doing things in the Middle East. I mean, you know... If you don't confront that, then there's no way that you can seriously advance uh, a policy that that pretends to be fruitful for the future.
0: But what you're laying out is that Mike Pompeo is a politician and he's sort of having these political values bleed into foreign policy, which has been something not quite
1: sacrosanct, but— Well, look. A lot of for, uh, secretaries of state have been politicians. Jim Baker was a politician, I mean, a, a supreme politician. Colin Powell was a politician. Condoleezza Rice is a politician. All these people are politicians. But they either understood f- from the moment they got there or soon learned that the important thing is diplomacy and what diplomacy involves and what are the colliding and converging interests of the powers in the regions that you're trying to go and advance American interests in. Pompeo shows nothing, uh, no no insight or attempt to gain insight into this sort of thing.
0: And it struck me that Mike Pompeo and President Obama, when they were both speaking in Cairo, they were speaking to different people.
1: President Obama
0: was speaking to people in Cairo or the Muslim public maybe. And Mike Pompeo was speaking to... The leaders of the Middle East.
1: Well, Pompeo, I mean, Obama's speech at Cairo in, in early 2009, just a few months after he was took office, the context was an American political situation in which Muslims were being blamed for everything. Muslim, Muslim, Islamic, you know, the the, the, the thing was Islami- radical Islamist terrorism, making no distinctions among Muslim. Obama, one of his tasks was to point out that 9-11 wasn't the only face of Muslim. There's a, Muslims have contributed a lot to world culture, to American history. He denounced the radical extremists who exploited the tensions. But, you know, one thing he was trying to do was to tell the Muslim world, we're not like that anymore. We're going to be looking at distinctions. We're going to be, yes, we're still going to be slamming the bad guys and forming coalitions to do so. But we're reaching out to you and showing that you know we understand that most of you. So that's what he was trying to do. Pompeo comes in and says, no, we're not doing that anymore.
0: We've talked about Pompeo, but I also want to talk about John Bolton mm-hmm. because he was also making his way around the Middle East, different yeah. countries, and When he first got this job as National Security Advisor, I'm going to look up exactly what you wrote. Oh, I'll tell you what I wrote. Yeah. It's
1: time to push the panic button. That was my lead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because John Bolton had been, you know, publicly basically calling for an attack on North Korea and war against Iran, publicly. I mean, the difference between Pompeo and Bolton is Bolton has been around for a long time. Bolton... He was in the State Department. He he was in the U.N. He's lately been a commentator on Fox. And that's why Trump Trump dug what he heard him say on Fox. One job of John Kelly when he was White House chief of staff for a while was keeping John Bolton out of the White House. Trump kept saying, <laughs> I'd like to see this guy Bolton. And they kept him out. So Bolton comes into the job with an agenda. He's got, you know, one thing that presidents don't like to do is to hire someone who has a very, very worked out set of ideas because he's going to come in wanting to parlay his ideas, not the president's. So he comes in, he's very hawkish. He, he doesn't like Russia, he doesn't like China, he doesn't like North Korea, he doesn't like Iran. He wants to basically go to war or some kind of renewed Cold War with all of them.
0: Now, how does this fit together with how Pompeo feels?
1: Well, Pompeo, as I say, Pompeo, I don't know what he feels. He'll do what the president wants. But, but, but Bolton comes in, but then he's kind of finds himself stymied just as he's saying, okay, I can get in there and we can bash the North Koreans. That's when Trump starts his love affair with Kim Jong-un, which by the way, kind of disturbed Pompeo too. Pompeo hired a a team of uh, fairly respectable specialists on this to go set up negotiations who Trump proceeded to ignore. Basically, it turns out that, 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 uh, Bolton is realizing he's a bit more of a traditionalist in the context of, of the Trump administration than people had given him credit for. He goes over and he wants to make sure that, okay, yeah, yeah, let's get out of Syria, but we have to make sure before we do that we do X, Y, and Z. And he doesn't have the the president going along with him. He thought, you know, what? You're 15 feet away from the from the Oval Office. You figure I'm you'll the have main some guy. access. i have got access anytime I want it. You know, there's been stories that Trump barely, you know, Trump keeps referring to him as Mike. You know, he he barely knows who he is.
0: Uh, But I guess the thing for me, watching the last week with Mike Pompeo and John Bolton in the Middle East, was it was like seeing foreign policy through a funhouse mirror. Yeah. And you realize how strange these alliances are, how delicate they are, and how... In some ways, they're whimsical, <laughs> you know, like what how we at least I guess when Trump is in charge of them, and it, it it's it's just bizarre to see them reflected back. in Yeah. This well, way. The, the
1: thing about a funhouse mirror, if it was kind of a consistent funhouse mirror, you could kind of adjust for that. Even for countries that are trying to do what Trump wants or to align themselves with the U.S. They don't know where that is at any moment. And so what you're seeing happening in a lot of the world right now is some leaders saying, okay, you know, just screw it. We are being cut out of the game in lots of spots all over the world. Other big powers are stepping in, not because they're particularly strong, but because there's a gap, there's a vacuum. Because they're, they're there. And they're filling it, and they're there, and they have they reach out, and they know how to deal with these other countries' interests and desires. and Trump, quite honestly, doesn't really give a shit about a lot of this right now.
0: Fred Kaplan, thank you so much for talking to me. My pleasure. That's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and it's produced by Mary Wilson and Jason DeLeon with help from Danielle Hewitt down in D.C. Thanks to our guest today, Fred Kaplan, who wakes up each morning, pours himself a hot cup of coffee, picks up the paper, and thinks, "Okay, you know, just screw it. If you want to help us, if you want to spread the love about what next, the way to do it is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That's how other people find us. And we're watching, and it means a lot when you do it. You can figure out how funny I really am by following me on Twitter. That's at Mary's Desk. Talk to you tomorrow.